You're listening to TWN Champions, episode 25. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode number 25. I'm Will, and you know her by her other name, Uto, the out-of-office calendar mascot. It's Rebecca! My Christmas vacation started a week ago, and I hadn't been working since the week before that. Just letting you all know. Don't forget to put the picture of your vacation and where you're going to move after your retirement in your email. And we're going to go skiing. That's why I haven't been working for the past month. What are we actually talking about today? Our f- personal favorite takes on the holiday character archetype. I have four. Will has four. It's a top eight. And also, you know how we like to do news at the end of the show. Stay tuned because we're going to have a um, little schedule change for our show. It's no big deal. But I want to let people know when the next one will be out and, and what our schedule is going to be. Yes, don't stop. you got to hear the theme song, too, at the end. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about holiday characters. We obviously know what they are, but how will we define them for our list today? All right, so this episode is going out on the day of the winter solstice. Okay. Right? So happy Yule, everyone, if you listen to this on the day that, that it comes out. When, when log rolls into your house when bringing the, presents. <laughs> when the log ding-dongs at your doorbell and you give him candy and he goes on his merry way as is the tradition with the yule log so that means today is a pagan holiday and christmas is a pagan holiday turned christian turned secular and commercial and so when i say holiday characters for the purposes of this countdown i really do mean it to be broadly inclusive of any kind of holiday in the season of twinkly winter lights okay that was a really long wind up to say that but um, but I will say that mine are generally going to be probably Christmas themed just because that's what the glut of what's out there uh-huh. is and what I'm most familiar with. But I'm not like, let's not rule it out. There could be any kind of winter holiday at play here. And so like when we say holiday characters, they're not necessarily the big, not necessarily the gift givers like your Santa Clauses and Easter bunnies. Although it could be your Santa Clauses. Yes. But they don't have to give gifts. It no. could be anybody that evokes the holiday. Yeah, anybody, anybody in a... Intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah, in, in a holiday movie, TV Gives show. you the holiday feeling. Yeah. Okay. Then they could be directly related to the ho- holiday or maybe not even at all. Okay. But you have to have a good argument for why they are like of the time. The time being the winter twinkly light time. Can we talk about where some of these characters come from? Yes, we should. 
I think we probably learned most of what we know about holiday characters actually from holiday specials, I think, on TV. Maybe even more so than your parents, because this is where we got the deep dive into them and the images formed in your head by how they looked on the on the TV specials. Yeah, we, we had cable, too, which our parents didn't have. Because right. they only had a few little things they could watch, and they're like, oh, let's watch the Judy Garland Christmas special. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that wasn't a great program, but... We sort of morphed from those live-action variety-style shows in the, I guess, 50s and 60s into the the classic animated shows, right? I think I think so. And during their heyday from the 60s and 80s, they were real cultural milestones for us because this was like um, network TV where things are have an episodic schedule and everybody's watching the same thing. So everybody knows these characters and they can actually find a place in, in culture and get some sticking power. It is, it is really crazy, too. You can't overstate how big broadcast television was back then when uh-huh. there weren't as many options. Like This is a number that I always have in my head um, because I, I know we've talked about the Brady Bunch before, and I'm a big fan of Barry Williams' book about growing up on the set of the Brady Bunch. And I remember in that book he said that the Brady's Christmas special that they did getting the cast together in the 80s, years after the show had ended, had something like 17 million people. Or like, I can't remember. It was like like in the tens of millions of viewers range, which is crazy to think about today because now if like 50,000 people tune into something, we're like, yay. Second season. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, there was just something that people really could unite around at the time since there weren't that many options. It's like, are you going to watch Rudolph because it's on or are you going to watch something very boring on the other channel? (laughs) Well, you mentioned Rudolph. I think kids of the 60s through the mid 80s, when they're thinking about uh, specials, they're going to be thinking about the Rankin Bass um, Christmas specials. So this is the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special and Frosty the Snowman and others. These are the big ones. Um, and also it's the same company that produced Thundercats and the Hobbit movie, which I thought was funny. Um, <laughs> same characters. <laughs> and they were such a big deal. You and- remember when Lion-O saved Christmas? <laughs> he probably did on Thundercats. He did for me <laughs> when I got the Sword of Omens. It excused a lot of other things. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that company, too, because they were such a big deal. This was a company that made those stop-motion movies. Uh, the process they used, they called it, um, it was called Animagic. And it was based on the same technology that was pioneered in the Gumby show and the Davy and Goliath show. And funny enough, or I guess interestingly enough, that animation was done in Japan. And most of, or many of the employees from that Japanese uh, company, Topcraft, eventually joined Studio Ghibli to work on those Miyazaki films. Oh, cool. Like My Neighbor Totoro, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, what, what a... What a honorable career path you know, I know. Like, and, that's awesome and, and also for like these to be such like western american cultural things it's really interesting like that they just killed it over there in a japanese company that actually animated these things um so one of the most noteworthy things about those specials was that they always had uh, a list of like well-known star-powered uh narrators so like you had like burl ives as sam the snowman um and um they also had like andy griffith buddy hackett angela lansbury art carney like it's everybody got to do something (laughs) something cool to sort of let you know this is the deal like this is 
there's your entrance into the world. It was it was it was kind of interesting. And we still do that today too. I mean, that's how we get parents to watch dumb kids things. It's like we cast someone that they would recognize. True. Yeah, I guess that's true. And you want them to want them to see that. And, yeah, and like and you're sitting there watching whatever with your kid. And you're like, oh, that's John C. Riley. Like you say, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Call me Sam. What's the matter? Haven't you ever seen a talking snowman before? And um, it's like, I'm just saying, this is a very modern, I think, thing. Even if Charles Dickens was writing about Christmas and, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I consider this to be a very modern sort of character archetype and sort of a modern mid-century and beyond experience, I guess, what I would say. Like the that warm and fuzzy feeling of the Christmas special. So the only thing I really have to add to that, I, I, I'm really trying not to be like crusty and old and have a rant, but I can't, I, I got a teeny one. I got a teeny, okay. I got a teeny one. Okay. By the ancients. Uh, and it's a little bit to do with uh, Christmas media that is very popular and sort of having a moment right now. Uh, okay. So I'm, gonna, I'm so, well, I'm that, so well, sorry already. Everything that people are talking about work sounds just like, treacle and horrible production and terrible so that i think most people will agree there is i i feel there's this whole new class of holiday media that i understand theoretically but i just have a really hard time with as a person and that's the proliferation of media that i think only exists to create a mood okay so like okay okay this is an era of incredibly personalized, mood-based media. And so why do I bring this up? Okay, one place where this is very evident is in holiday movies. Like, uh -huh. the, the contemporary holiday movie. Like, I feel like over at Hallmark, they keep poor old Lacey Chabert locked up in, like, <laughs> some office supply closet 10 days out of, or 10 months out of the year. And they're like, can you come out here and stand in front of this Christmas tree and introduce all of our movies? And they'll just make, like, 30 films... That are Christmas movies. Uh -huh. And it's not just like a movie that takes place at Christmas or with Christmas as a backdrop. Christmas is the whole point of the movie. Like, you know, the plot takes place at Christmas, but it's also about Christmas. The characters are really into Christmas. And not just that, the characters like do Christmas things. There's always scenes where they're like making floral arrangements or hanging okay, so, lights. Okay, so these movies, the point is not the story themselves. It's almost like a Christmas screensaver for, yes. for your TV. And that is sort of like a watching a Yule log, except these people are experiencing Christmas exactly. in my TV on my living room. And, and their plots are very thin serviceable whatever and if they can get if they can cast anybody from a family sitcom that's that nostalgic you know. for you that also pulls on your warm nostalgia feelings yes and and so like they're all drinking hot chocolate too and every one of these <laughs> I movies, know I know they are there's a YouTuber I really enjoy and I, I you sh you all should go support him because I love his channel uh Nick Deramio who does a thing called clip breakdown on his uh, YouTube channel. And one thing that he loves to do this for is Hallmark holiday movies. And he has pointed out, which now I can't unsee it, how they're always drinking hot chocolate on these, in these Christmas movies, but they're always holding empty cups, uh -huh. empty paper <laughs> cups. And it just drives him crazy. And he's like, just put some liquid in there so it can be more realistic, realistic without you're holding it. But it's just such a staple of these films that they have to be drinking hot cocoa. Mm -hmm. Warm and cozy. Yes. I'm familiar. <laughs> and it's like, okay, 
So the whole purpose of these films is to make a holiday mood. And that is fine. But I'm not trashing that wish because the world is a lot, okay? And sometimes we just want to unplug from all the overstimulation. Like, I get it. I am not crapping on your Hallmark movies. It's fine. But, like, at the risk of sounding like a crusty old man, I just want to say that I feel like we need to to make sure that we're still working to honor art that is the result of, like, an inspired individual um, who has something to say and not just like things that we consume because they feel good to us as viewers. Because I feel like it's it's fine if you're like, oh, cozy, it's a movie, it's fine. But if that's what you're always seeking out, then how are you ever going to learn how to like define and articulate your values and watch them play out in a hypothetical situation and see stories from the perspective of other people and maybe uh -huh. develop and, and maintain empathy for others. How are you going to do that? For example, we're not going to be getting holiday characters for our list off of those Hallmark movies. For example, no. For, <laughs> for this reason, I feel like the list is going to be a little bit You're not going to pick Christmas tree farm boyfriend for this. No, I will not pick Christmas tree farm boyfriend or Jason Priestley's character. <laughs> um, who romances Melissa Joan Hart because he's a, a glass blower who makes Christmas <laughs> ornaments yeah. that somehow that career sustains him in a small town also. Yes, he's not on the list. Like my old man fear, and just please everyone indulge me for one second, is just that our media consumption could be so tailored to our wishes that it's making us worse people. And I guess <laughs> this is just my like little Christmas plea to you. Yeah. yeah, it's because it it um it really serves folks who want to live in their cocoon and not consider others. Like the right. world is made for you and your personal experience, and it's not about opening your mind to consider other things. Or yes, whatever. and again, I understand the world is a lot, and we all need to retreat sometimes. But you need to make sure that you are not willfully shutting out reality. In favor of comfort. Can I just can I just say this to, to all of us? Um, and I'm also not one of those inseparable people who's like, art should challenge us. Like, I'm not like, I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, I just I think that we should find a happy medium and let Lacey Chabert go work on another project <laughs> and let Melissa Joan Hart go work on something else. Now, if they got Connie Britton to introduce the Hallmark movies, we'd be watching it. It's true. If Connie Britton came out and was like, hey, y'all. Yeah. Y'all should be watching this. Ooh, it's a good one, y'all. I like this one. I'm going to tell you. I'm just going to tell, tell you. Tell us how to feel, Connie Britton. <laughs> tell us how to feel about the birth of All right, y'all watch this movie, then y'all watch a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm just saying my pictures are probably going to reflect this thing that's at the back of my mind that's just been gnawing at me lately. Okay. Okay, and I'm sorry if you enjoy Hallmark movies. Please continue to do so. But these are, these picks, you. these picks, I can go ahead and tell you are going to be very fantasy based. So you are going to enjoy them for that reason. This is going to be weird. So let's yeah. get into it. Okay. All right. Well, are you ready to give us your first pick? Number eight. What's up, my little elvers? I'm Rupert Reinhardt, the elf on the show. And welcome to my vlog. In today's vlog, we're going to be watching another movie. It's called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Island of Misfit Toys. Let's go! Alright, number eight. This is my only modern, like, contemporary pick, okay? And it's a weird one for weird reasons. Let's just go with it. I'm giving you the elf on the shelf. Okay. 
Because I think it's hilarious and grim to condition children to live in a surveillance state, and because I think it's interesting and noteworthy that we have added something new to the Christmas pantheon, and because I think it's very much a pick that's in the spirit of our times, okay? Okay. Okay, so, so we're going to talk about Elf on the Shelf just as a phenomenon, mm -hmm. briefly. So... First of all, I am going to say that it seems like a very commercial thing, but it's actually not. It has an origin story. Um, the Elf on the Shelf was based on a poem slash story written by a woman named Carol Abersold and her grown twin daughters, Chanda Bell and Krista Pitts. Okay, that's and a it, lot of people to collaborate on one story. It, that's it, hard to do. It was, you know, it, I think it was a holiday project. But um, they wrote, so it was based on like her childhood growing up in Georgia. It was like a little cute thing that their family did. Mm -hmm. And then it sort of like became a phenomenon after they had self-published the book about it. And then they went to like trade, like craft fairs and stuff and sold it there. And then it really took off in like 2007 because for whatever reason, Jennifer Garner was photographed holding an elf on the shelf thingy. And the Today uh, Show was like, let's get in on this. And then it kind of exploded. Okay. All right, Will. So I want you to tell the good listeners at home, the, what's, to your knowledge, how you understand it as a, an adult male who pays a lot of attention, what is the deal with Elf on the Shelf? Like, describe what Elf on the Shelf is. Uh, you got, like, a elf-stuffed animal. I don't think there's, like, an official one. Right. I think you can just get it some elf, like Christmas elf, and then you hide him somewhere interesting in the house, and then your child's supposed to find him every day and uh, leading up to Christmas to sort of get them hyped for Christmas. And I feel like there may be sometimes some extra unnecessary rules, like you're not allowed to touch the elf or something like that yeah, i feel they, like there's something you're not supposed to do yeah like you tell your kid if you touch the elf or move the elf the elf is gonna like go away uh -huh. or you know like just to make them not mess with it you know i know we had something like that there was an elf on the shelf but it was something like that when i was in preschool and i still remember that you know we had the content everybody's supposed to look for it. they said if you find it don't shout it out or whatever just come quietly tell one of the adults and you'll get the prize I found it, and I wasn't about to let one of those little heads get there before I did. And I just yelled, "I found it! I found it! There he is! There he is!" And they and they, uh, I got in trouble for it. I was like, "Really, really? Listen, I'm in preschool," is what I said. I'm in preschool, <laughs> and I need my reward that you have promised me. You were just trying to go tell it on the mountain, I know. as the song suggested. That's just that's very okay. that's a sad tale. Yeah, so I don't believe in the extra rule. Uh, they find it. That's good enough. Yeah, so, okay, and then also there's a threat, I believe, of, like, the elf is spying on you for Santa Claus's sake, too. So it's oh. like, if you do anything bad, the elf is going to go tell on you. And then, who knows what happens okay, with Okay, yeah, Christmas. this is getting less fun the more we talk about it. Uh, okay, yes, agreed, but yes. Okay, so, to me, that's like it's, it's fascinating because I, I think it's like a weird little embodiment of, like, Everything about the past decade or so. So first of all, it's a commentary on like virality about about what makes something catch on and capture okay. people's imaginations, okay. right? Uh, the vast, gross, horrible overextending of the modern parent and how much they already feel responsible for. And then it's like, oh, are you telling me that now I need to also create whimsy <laughs> in the days leading up to Christmas? It's not enough that we uh, already have the tree. That would be a good name presents. for the elf is whimsy. Whimsy, that would be a good name yeah. for, yes, if you have one. I'm whimsy. <laughs> I'm like, I am annoying. You're not only just tasked with creating like a good 
freaking background for your kids now. Now you have to also like up it and like they need they need wonder and whimsy mm-hmm. and magic in their lives. And if you don't provide it for them, then you're a bad parent. What? You mm-hmm. know? You can't just be like get at them Lincoln logs. <laughs> yeah, that don't cut it anymore. That horse needs a stable. <laughs> So like, and then, and then finally, nay, nay. Santa says, nay, you ain't getting nothing else. Like, be excited about that coal in your stocking. And then, then topping everything off, Ooh, it's like two coals. You must be, <laughs> you lucky boy. You're going to be warm tonight. Um, then on top of it all, like that pressure to compare what you do in your house on social media. Cause that was the other reason that it really caught on is because people would take pictures of the funny and creative scenarios. They would make their elves act out and it became very, very, very popular. So here's why, here's why it's weird and why I'm picking it. I sort of feel like when you look at this elf on the shelf phenomena, you can kind of make the argument that we have created an energy of being with this and it's up to some mischief like this is some like trickster energy that Mm -hmm. we have put into the world we thought we were playing with him but we played ourselves (laughs) okay it's on the downswing now like i don't think it's as popular but uh when we look back on this time we look back on the phenomenon of elf on the shelf for like the past decade or so people are gonna be like what the fat hell was that all about like i can't believe we also made ourselves make an elf come to life every night for like the past however many years and everyone will be tired but then he's already out in the world making mischief and we're gonna make like a chucky-esque movie about him in a few years it's gonna be hilarious that would be good and he's definitely doing some knife drops oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) the script is the screenplay like writes itself (laughs) so we told you not to move him samantha i didn't move him go to your room samantha (laughs) he's watching me (laughs) number seven Kind of travel to check that don't work in France. Did anyone order me a plain cheese? Well, yeah, we did. But if you want any, somebody's gonna have to barf it all up because it's gone. All right, I wanted to start with a grounded pick, but I think he takes us to that holiday feeling about as fast as anybody I can think of. Okay. You aren't going to guess this, but you're going to sure, love I'm it. I'm sure I can't. You're going to love it. Okay. This is Buzz, Kevin McAllister's older brother from the 1990 Christmas film Home Alone. You know, I was going to ask you if you were going to do a Home Alone pick because I thought about doing like Joe Pesci's Gold Tooth or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Just yeah. something weird. Buzz is, this is, oh, this has so much synergy with the later <laughs> pick on my list. I'm very, I'm just, I'm into this. Tell, okay. me, about, tell me about Buzz. Well, I can't think we're talking about Home Alone, I can't think of a movie that better captured the energy of all your relatives taking over your house during the holiday. It's really exciting when they start to show up when you're a kid. This is when your routine starts to get different. Like, you know the air, the air is different when all the relatives start showing up. And it feels like something special is happening. But then it starts to get a little weird, right? Because all of a sudden, these other people in your house, but you're so young, you feel like a guest in your own home. Yeah. And... And these uncles and aunts and even older cousins have authority over you. Like, who are you? You don't even know where the cups are in my house. <laughs> and they're taking up rooms and seats that you should be able to have access to. And then you realize you prefer to be doing something else, like playing your video game. Or But your parents tell you it's weird to go do that because all the grown-ups are talking about stuff that doesn't even 
pertain to you. Okay, so just I want to interrupt you one yeah. second. This is like we watched Home Alone not too long ago. I feel like it's it's been in the past year or so. Okay. Or I did. did yeah, I think not? you did. Okay, you didn't watch it with me. Okay, I watched Home Alone pretty recently, and I was actually very struck by. Um, the, the melancholy in the movie, mm-hmm. they did such a good job of capturing how alienated that Kevin felt when all the chaos was in his house. And I would just like to say, per my previous point about Christmas coziness and seeking out coziness and, and I love the warm and fancy feelings. Home Alone is like a classic holiday movie, but like there is like some, there's sadness in there and there's a lot of conflict and it's mm-hmm. really good heartstring tugging conflict that doesn't involve somebody's glass blown ornament business or hot chocolate factory mobile or uh-huh. whatever it is. In any way, I just think it's it's all the better for it. Like there's a reason why it's a Christmas classic. Well, and because they weren't scared to delve into things that were kind of sad or really frustrating about the holidays. It was extra funny. Like, it's a lot funnier than I think people remember. Yeah. Uh, do you remember, to catch people up, or as a refresh, do you remember what all the relatives are doing at the McAllister house that first night? Stop a napkin and you're going to have to pour your own drinks. Mom, the Santa Claus have to go through customs. What time do you have to go to bed? Early. We're leaving the house at 8 a.m. So they're all going on like a, a Christmas trip to like Paris, yeah, I that's think. It. Uh-huh. Yeah, and they're all there because they're all going to leave to the airport very early in the morning. So right. they're all spending the night there at the McAllister house in preparation for this big Christmas trip. Right. Trip. Right. And it's complete chaos. And they're like ordered a, a ton of pizza, and all the annoying, obnoxious uncles are talking about how you probably don't even have the right traveler's checks and all this stuff. It's pretty funny. And in the chaos, Kevin's ostracized by his older siblings, Buzz, Jeff, Megan, and Lenny. And then till he eventually, Kevin eventually ruins their dinner by fighting with Buzz because Buzz ate all of the cheese pizza, which is the only pizza that Kevin will eat. And then Buzz tells him like, if you want some, somebody's got to throw it up. And then Kevin just freaks out and charges him and knocks over (laughs) all the drinks. Okay. Christmas kid freakouts. They're a thing. (laughs) They're a good thing. It's really funny. And we get some great, great scenes of Kevin dealing with his butt head older brother like buzz is the ultimate butthead older brother he looks like a butthead he acts like a butthead can what do you remember like t- tell us about a couple of the main buzz scenes because he had some hilarious little moments um i know that he had like a very uh his bedroom was like a forbidden zone yeah like kevin wasn't really supposed to go in it there. was the perfect older brother room he had a tarantula in there of oh, course right, the tarantula yeah yeah and like i know that kevin wasn't supposed to go in his room but of course when all the family has left him that's of course one of the things he does is he goes around buzz's room and then he sees a photo of buzz's girlfriend and like <laughs> woof like i remember that like that that was so funny. That is one thing that has always stuck around. That thing when something's like unpleasant or gross and you go, woof. I'm pretty sure this is like one of the main reasons yeah. we say it. When he looks at his girlfriend and she's got like this big cheesy braces grin and the pigtails and he goes, buzz his girlfriend, woof. It's so funny. It was. I read that you don't have to worry about it. It's not a real girl. I think it was the art director's son. They got to dress up like a girl to be Buzz's ugly girlfriend. Buzz, Buzz's hideous girlfriend. So I, yeah. I just loved that. I think it was so funny. That was very cute. Buzz, don't you know how to knock Flemwad? Can I sleep in your room? I don't want to sleep on the hide bed before. If you have something to drink, you'll wet the bed. I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing on my. I want to talk about Buzz as like the perfect older brother or like older cousin that you have to deal with. I didn't have an older brother, but uh, my friend Richard did. And he was like, 
a cartoon character because he was like big and meaty and redheaded and into rush. And he was <laughs> really fun when he was not being dangerous and terrifying. And so he was a lot of fun to be around because you didn't know if you're going to get the monster or the fun one. And I think that's the appeal of him because of, sometimes of Buzz... mean older cousins. Yeah, and yeah. Buzz talks to him normally sometimes, but if he's just in that mood or showing off mm-hmm. or, or whatever... And this was really interesting. This got me thinking, too, about I am an older brother and why sometimes older brothers would act like jerks. I will say my sister and I always got along, like, really well. But I do remember when we were younger being a butthead a little bit. And I don't, I couldn't remember why, but I think it's because parents never, ever talk about the importance of giving your children space like personal space. Yeah. And if you think about it, you're always marshalling your children to the same destinations to and from because the logistics (laughs) are too complicated otherwise, but you have to share everything. You're sharing the house. If you don't live in like a big city, you're sharing the yard, you're sharing the same activities, you're sharing the same pets, you share the same foods, you get taken to school, you get picked up from school. You never have a moment uh, to yourself and it, it's hard to even explain it's very hard to explain when you're that young why that would bother you yeah. because you're not doing anything objectionable it's just that you don't have any time to consider who am I <laughs> you know <laughs> right uh, yeah. yeah eat your fruit roll-ups yeah you. so I think that's a big part of it. that's why a lot of the, the sibling um conflicts happen around like having your own room or not I think yeah didn't you have to share in with your sister for a while I, I did um and I did for several years and then we eventually got our own rooms but uh-huh. yeah it it when, of course, my sister and I always got along pretty well, but when you're always close, we also, like, fought, like, cats and dogs. To, yeah, the, same, the same thing was true. Like, they were both true. I imagine just, like, uh, holes and walls everywhere and, like, Godzilla fight music. Yes. Like, we, <laughs> our fights were physical way longer than they should have been. And, like, nobody was ever like, hey, maybe you two shouldn't fight each other. They were just like, let them work it out. It's funny. I mean, I guess so. I guess so, because I never remember being told that, like, maybe you guys shouldn't smack each other, you know. But then I said this, like, my sister and I played together. We were, like, really yeah, good friends. Yeah, but that's what I'm telling you. Like, yeah. that's also a different generation, different era thing, too, when things were wilder and you worked it out yourself. But but I, I think I was I, he is the perfect pick because he is the perfect older relative that you have to reckon with, especially on the holidays. And they may be in an especially a show-off mood around the holidays. They're all their older cousins. <laughs> They're all emboldened by yes. all the all the chaos. All bets are. <laughs> Kevin, what did you do to my room? Number six. Yes, adulation is across the bear. God knows I know. But someone's got to supplant our standing in the way of progress, Mayor. And don't deny it, Mr. Cobblepot. You've got the magic. Your charisma's bigger than both of us. Come on. Mayor. Mayor. Uh, Max, uh, elections happen in November. Is this not late December? Don't worry about it. All right, at number six, I give you... Definitely someone we think of when we think of Christmas, which is, of course, the Penguin from Batman Returns. He's great. 1992. 
Every um, time he shows up, he's in front of some snow or Christmas decorations. Okay, so because it's Chicago, right? Like Batman's Gotham is Chicago. It's like Chicago Christmas time. Yeah. Okay. Sh- yeah. Sure. Like Chicago, New York hybrid, whatever you want to yeah. call Gotham. But like, okay, so I watched it literally last night in preparation for this. Like the whole movie is Christmassy. Like it, it isn't just vaguely Christmassy. Like there are, there's always a Christmas tree in the background or like Christmas activities being mentioned or, or it, it was definitely kind of like the Hallmark Christmas movie mm-hmm. of Batman movies. <laughs> so um, it is a Christmas movie, but like, all right. First, I want to make the argument that this film, Batman Returns, which is super fun and very dark and children should not have watched it when we were children, um, is actually a great movie for the Yule because the big theme in it is like death and rebirth. (laughs) Uh Like seriously. So this is this is like the longest night of the year, like the tiny point of light in the in the darkness of the of the long night. Okay, there's some Batman vibes I'm getting. Exactly. You know the 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 whole year is dying and like the new the new year will begin to emerge. The light will begin to emerge. That is like such a big part of this. So you think about all the death and rebirth in this. We have the penguin living his life underground and wishing to emerge uh-huh. We have Selena Kyle having her weird, awesome death scene where she just um, gets killed, then has a flip out and like a phoenix rise, rises from the ashes. Because some cats lick all her wounds, right? Yes. And then and she manically sews her own Catwoman costume uh-huh. and then just like, yep, I'm back in a great outfit, which is hilarious. Like, as now that a- I think about it, she also has this like... Um, corpse-like complexion after she's Catwoman, which I've forgotten about. Yeah, her but she's makeup very is very pallid. pale. Yeah. yeah, very, very pallid or whatever. And see, and I love, I love the character as an adult. She has like nine lives too. Yeah, okay. I think right. it's hilarious. Um, and then the penguin wanting to rise from the underclass of subhuman people and like, you know, rise up like, like the first shot of him emerging on the streets of Gotham where they staged the little thing where he can rescue the baby from the yeah. crowd. And he, he like, woo. Like rises so cool. out of the sewer holding an infant. Like this is a great movie about okay, death and rebirth. When I'm thinking about the very beginning when they show his, his parents and stuff, like wasn't Paul Rubens his, his dad? Yes, okay. Paul Rubens was so his when dad. So when they when uh, they're showing them and their and their garb and everything, and then the uh, the penguin has like the top hat and everything, he's actually very Dickensian, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. Like that's such a big part of the character design, which I love because he's got that stovepipe. I guess with yeah. the, the the hat. Yeah, he's very Victorian. And stuff. He looks yeah. like Christmas past or something. Yeah, like his his attire is incredibly Dickensian. Like I'm, I'm sure that was totally on purpose. Uh-huh. Like I'm, I haven't watched any featurettes to that, you know, <laughs> to, about that. But I'm sure that's true. And then he's also just he looks like a wonderful Christmas character <laughs> because he's like perfectly egg shaped, yeah. like a little holiday chocolate. Yeah, or like, an ornament. <laughs> or an ornament. Yes, like a like Christmas ball. Like he's like a Cadbury egg, like a white chocolate egg with like pistachio inside. Yeah. Like he's just like some weird Christmas candy. And um I don't know, it, like again, you'd be like, okay, it's not really a Christmas character. It's not really a Christmas film, but I don't know. Like it definitely is a Christmas film, and I feel like he is a fantastic, horrible villain with sympathetic (laughs) weird background people living their normal lives in the backdrop of the holidays almost puts you more in the holiday spirit than people forcing you into it exactly so i feel like this is a very christmasy movie yeah okay now in here normal lives emerging from the sewers to fake rescue a baby so you can be the half man half penguin mayor of gotham city exactly during christmas time 
Sorry, related to Christmas, but I'll make it work during Christmas. No, during Christmas. Here's my, my final push about why I think this is a proper Christmas movie and why it's a proper Christmas character. Okay, there's a scene where Batman... Okay, so if you don't remember... Um, uh, the penguin is in cahoots with Max Shrek, uh-huh. the evil I- energy-based capitalist, uh-huh. uh, like industrialist, uh, robber baron. We have with us tonight a man who really needs no introduction. He's given so much to our city. Will you welcome, please, Gotham's own Santa Claus, Max Shrek? They're trying to get back at the mayor who won't approve his big, stupid energy plant that's going to suck energy out of the town, whatever. So they start a campaign to have a recall election for the mayor, and then they're going to run the Penguin as a mayoral candidate, and everyone loves him because he rescued the baby. It's very weird, okay? Well, so Batman gets the crowd to turn on Penguin as a mayoral candidate by playing a CD of his quotes over the loudspeaker during a rally. So, and he says stuff like, I've played this stinking city like a hut from hell. You know, like, and everyone is appalled which is funny. And because we live in a world where real life ghouls can say whatever they want. Yeah, I'm saying like, that actually has happened. And they were like, yeah, well, and he they did, did kind of play us like a whore from hell. And- exactly. And, and it didn't alienate a good portion of people <laughs> who we come to find out are just as ghoulish in their souls as the person saying <laughs> these vile things. That makes the dreary world of Gotham a rosy Christmas wonderland in comparison to our real life in 2020. <laughs> because when the Penguin said his terrible things in front of people, people were like, oh, that's horrible. I won't vote for him. Guess who that didn't happen to? I'm just saying. I mean, we we barely squeaked by, thankfully. But I'm just saying, like Gotham at Christmas time seems a lot rosier than what we've been facing down lately. Yeah, Batman 2020 is gonna have to like learn about working for voting rights or something. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> it's a different, it's a different world. <laughs> he's so gross. He's excellent. He's so disgusting. He's gr- he's really good. He's great. Yeah, it's great. I would eat that fish. Number five. Little ones, attend to me. My little ones, I am very proud of you all. You have done well, but the night is young, and we have much to do. Much to do to make sure that Halloween never ends. That from this moment on, the world shall know only eternal night. (laughs) Okay, you mentioned that these holiday characters are supposed to be characters that are from the season of twinkly light. So we mean it broadly. So I'm moving away from Christmas to the holiday where our powers are strongest for our holiday character. Okay. Okay. This is Samhain, the legendary ghost from the real Ghostbusters cartoon. I'm going to tell you, this is very marginal, but that's okay. That's, that's okay. Can no, you, it doesn't have to be Christmas. It's holiday characters. Okay. When you have a show about ghosts, you have a lot of expectation about how you're going to handle Halloween. Okay. But yes. the ghosts, Ghostbusters nailed it. I think they were really successful with letting you know these were important episodes with the legendary ghost characters that they had because uh, they were like super well organized and had huge scale plans. And so usually for the legendary ones, you've got Boogeyman, 
and the Sandman, who we talked about in our ghost episode. Yeah. And then also Samane. Yeah. Who's a real, like, character in folklore. And it's supposed to be like the spirit of Halloween, but they just made a real uh, ghost out of it. And in 1986, the real Ghostbusters cartoon hit kids hard on both sides of Halloween. On October 25th, they introduced the Sandman, who we talked about. And then right on the other side of Halloween, on November 1st, they got Samhain, who's the spirit of Halloween. Yeah, it's, I'm just I'm just still reeling over here because I just feel like I wasn't even prepared to think about Halloween, and now you got me thinking about Halloween, and I'm like, I didn't know we could we do Halloween. We said Halloween, holiday characters. Look, we. It's true, we did say holiday. characters. Yeah, so I'm doing it. It's happening. Okay. I'm 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 supportive of it. You know, I like this to is think the whole about, season. I like to think about Halloween always. Okay, so I want to talk about Samane like an action figure. So you you know you remember this guy, right? He's the he's got a pumpkin head. Yeah, he's a pumpkin yeah. head. He's got normal orange arms. <laughs> right, completely Those normal. Those aren't pumpkin-fied. They're just orange coming out of his long brown robe with a high collar. And he's gross because he has... He's gross because of how normal his face is otherwise, I think. If you look at him, he has like eyes with eyeballs. He has a nose and he's got lips, which are freak me <laughs> out. And like normal Lips teeth. on a pumpkin are very weird. Yeah, it made him scarier. And they gave him... Um, like a kind of like a Swedish dialect or something, I guess. Maybe they were thinking of the origin of where the folk tale is from or something, because he's he's always talking about the Ghostbusters, and I just thought that made it creepier. I just love that. Yeah, where are you from? Yeah, I like that. What's your deal? It was the same guy who voiced him, who um was the same guy who did Sandman, who's the guy who wrote Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this trivia coming back to pay dividends. I yes. love it. Didn't actually think you could keep Samhain, the spirit of Halloween, locked up forever, did you, Ghostbuster? Well, yeah, actually, we did. Uh, so we do get a the, the kids do get a little bit of the history of Samhain because Egon tells us that he suspects the large increase in PKE readings centers around ancient ruins that were brought in from Ireland two weeks ago, and they date to the seventh century. And so Ray and Egon begin to notice the connection between the ruins and the origins of Halloween. Um, and I saw a little bit of an interview where J. Michael Straczynski, the writer, was talking about how you make scary monsters in shows like this. And he said the real point was to make a monster you weren't sure that the Ghostbusters could beat. And I think he did a good job with that because Samane's deal is he wants to create eternal night and constant Halloween. And he wants to rule a world um, that by commanding all the other ghosts in it. All the ghosts are enthralled to him. Which sounds like a solid plan and one that I don't know that I would fight too, too hard. It'd be like, oh, he's going to make eternal what? <laughs> right. Um, I'll help you, you, Ghostbusters. You would be floating up to his tower with the other <laughs> ghosts like, I'm here. We're doing it. Let's get it. Do it I'd up. Like, Hand me that ghost trap. I'll hold it for you. <laughs> get out of here, Ghostbusters. <laughs> It's well, okay, so because you know it's my rule. My rule is Halloween is not for Ghostbusters. Like, you know when people want to put Ghostbuster elements in their Halloween decor? Yeah. I'm like, that's cute. But the thing it's is... It's the ghost holiday. It's the one day. It's the one day they they're, can run wild. they're allowed to cavort. It's and like the purge. <laughs> it is. And therefore, you are not allowed to play the Ghostbusters theme on Halloween. That's funny. Because you're not allowed to bust them on Halloween. Let them have their time. Okay, so this one was my pick for apparently misunderstanding the picks. Um, <laughs> it's, it's okay. Uh, but uh, it's my holiday character, um, Samhain. Schleimer! Pizza! Uh-huh. 
I'm so glad that you wanted to recognize Buzz from Home Alone. Uh My next pick is perfectly in line with him. And that is because at number four, I have Scott Farkas, the Christmas bully from the 1983 (laughs) film, A Christmas Story. Uh (laughs) Scott Farkas. Scott Farkas. What a rotten name. We were trapped. There he stood between us and the alley. Scott Farkas staring out at us with his yellow eyes. He had yellow eyes, so help me God, yellow eyes. All right, so this is our our Christmas bully, our second Christmas bully, actually, technically, if we count Buzz. So this is the film based on the writings of Gene Shepard about his childhood, and it's a series of vignettes that take place around Christmas in the early 1940s. And you know what? I actually read that description this morning and i was like holy crap a christmas story is just a series of vignettes isn't it Uh there's like there's not really a unifying plot except for the thread of ralphie wanting his red rider bb gun and would he get it and would he have a good christmas i guess but it does work the same way some other christmas movies work like all the uh, national lampoon things are like that's just that one thing after another sort of plot but that is interesting yeah you you say i guess i had never really thought about it until i actually read that description i'm like Oh, yeah. like just, The narrator does help uh, thread, thread it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, as we just mentioned, this is about a, a boy named Ralphie. Uh, it was meant to take place in the early 1940s, and I read a production note that they really intended for it not to be exactly known what year it was. Like, So it doesn't start off if you're like, what year was that? He never says, it was the winter of 1950. Like, he And I never, think that worked because I could see my parents' Christmases in that. Well, yeah, exactly. And so it, like, it's sort of like this early mid-century just experience. And it really works, I think, for almost any small town holidays because... Just my town, even when I grew up, looked like that. Like, I remember wanting a BB gun for Christmas. I mean, it, it worked. <laughs> yeah. I think another reason that this film has sort of ascended into the classic status is because starting in 1997, the cable station TBS started airing it on repeat for Christmas. Like, uh-huh. so that, that's how it sort of, like, became more familiar and well-loved um, to people our age. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to interrupt you every no, time you say fine. anything, but I just, just make me, t- thank God for TBS. I mean, we don't talk enough about how great TBS was, but <laughs> they did a lot of they did a lot of good stuff. It's like real wrestling, like WCW actual wrestling, and uh, playing playing the Western movies. God bless TBS. It was okay? it was a good station. Okay. All right. I mean, Ted Turner was probably a terrible person. I just assume every rich person is, but you know, just not good. Good TV. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Ted Turner was a part owner in WCW too. I think so. Was yeah. Not? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so that makes sense. But anyway, <laughs> he was an Atlanta area mogul. Everybody who's like, who is Ted Turner? But anyway, TBS, they were responsible for the repeated airings of this of the show in the late 90s, which or not the show of this film in the late 90s. And that was a, a reason why, like, I remember my family really being into it. As soon as they started doing that, we would always turn it on uh, when I would go to my mamaw's house. So back to the bully, Scott Farkas. Um, he's a bully in the sh- who, along with his toady, was a little tough guy kid named Grover Dill terrorizes Ralphie and his brother and friends on the snowy walk to school or home from school every day. So Scott Farkas is a terrible, wonderful looking little bully who wears a leather jacket and a coonskin cap. 
and this redheaded, we already talked about a yeah. menacing redheaded kid, has little beady eyes and braces. That's what I was saying. I remember his little rat eyes. Yes. So help me, God, yellow eyes. So this film is obviously a work of nostalgia. It was, like the writings were, they were even kind of based on, I think, um, vocal retellings of the story that he did on the radio before okay. he wrote them down. So this is like a very much a work of nostalgia. Um, but I feel like the reason why I want to bring this up is like, I don't think that we take the time to appreciate how often we feel nostalgia about bad times, right? Because um, it's not until you have like that perspective from your problems and that distance that you can kind of appreciate how it forged your identity yes. in, the, in yes. the way that through them and how you dealt with it. And so for me, the best characters for nostalgic feelings probably are bullies, villains, like the forces against which we sharpen ourselves. That's why Buzz was such a great pick, right? And then uh -huh. Scott Farkas, uh -huh. um, because they, they serve their purpose in our lives. And when we look back on this golden, wonderful time, it's not Melissa Joan Hart in the Hot Chocolate Factory, right? It's Scott Farkas and his evil little dude scaring you literally every day of your life as you try to just get to school <laughs> It was and the home. interesting, dramatic part of your life. Exactly. So, again, there's nothing wrong with coziness and wanting to capture these cozy feelings, but uh, Christmas adversity will just help you appreciate it more. So, hats off to you. I lift my coonskin cap to you, <laughs> Scott Farkas. <laughs> Man. Number three. Okay, this one's pretty fun, and I'm back to Christmas. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> look, 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 we talk about Halloween. I, was right. I followed the directions. Okay. <laughs> look, we can always be talking about Halloween, right. okay? That's what I thought. That's A B T A H. That's my <laughs> motto. Okay. Well, we were talking about the Rankin and Bass stop motion films like Rudolph earlier, so I wanted to pick one of these, but this one's an otter classic. This is The Frost Miser from the 1974 stop motion film The Year Without a Santa Claus, which was based on Phyllis McGinley's 1956 book of the same name. Okay. Here he comes now, the big hand. I think folks our age will probably remember this one or the song at least would jog your memory. You know which one I'm talking about? Well, I know the Heat Miser had a song, yes. right? There were two of them. There were brothers. Right. There was a Frost Miser and, and the then they miser, went to visit Heat Miser like, and he had a song. Miser, Mr. Heat Miser. Like, I don't even know how That's it goes, right. but it was something like that. Pretty much it. <laughs> I, um, and I think that'll make this pick funnier if I back into it with the premise of the uh, movie. Cause I don't remember anything but these characters. Yeah. Like um, I'm, I'm real hazy on the whole okay. thing. Okay. So <laughs> uh, these, these guys will make more sense if you, if you know where they come from. So the story is Santa gets a cold and his Santa's doctor visits and tells him that nobody cares about him anymore. And he should make some changes to his routine so he can be healthier. <laughs> so, so, so Santa decides to take a holiday, which I think was being 
very melodramatic on Santa's part, but also a weird thing for the doctor to say to Santa Claus. Yeah, it's, it's a, a little bit of, a, of an overstepping there, Doc. Maybe it seemed less weird in the book. I don't know. So, uh, since he's being so dramatic about it, uh, one of his reindeer, I think it's Blitzen, two elves and Mrs. Claus go on this adventure to get proof that people still care about Santa Claus because he's so needy. And along the way, they run into these two temperature psychos named Frost Miser and Heat Miser. Uh-huh. Okay, so here's the deal with them. First of all, when this movie first came, when I saw it the first time, I saw these guys and my mind just like, met, was like, what is, what am I looking at? And there's, you know, back then, again, no internet. I have no idea what's happening on my TV. Um, I would never, <laughs> I don't even know about this now. These guys are brothers. They're the adult, they're the adult sons of Mother Nature. And they control the temperature of the world. Okay, who's their daddy? Do they have different dads? I don't know. That's just implied, probably. It may, they may Mother have been Nature, produced by budding, like a tree or something. Well, I, I was going to say, like, she got with the sun and she got with the old man winter? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, Santa Claus? Santa Claus. <laughs> um, but, uh, who, are the, who are their fathers? Uh, we wish the, to know. The interesting thing about them is they have their own jazzy hype songs. And that's what you remember. And their songs tell you their whole deal. I had forgotten that they each sing the same song, but put their own little personality on it and change the words to match their magic powers. Okay. Which is convenient because the songwriter only had to really write one song. Yeah. Yeah. And the chorus is like, they call me frost miser. Whatever I touch turns to snow in my clutch too much. And I love the too much part. I love because he's like, I'm so cool. I told you that stuff. And then he like does something with his head. He goes, too much. I like that part. That's cool. (laughs) Too much. (laughs) And then in the chorus, he does this great acting where he, where while everybody's singing his chorus, he's spinning and he goes, (laughs) he's doing all these like cold sounds. And it's so good. Like it's such good acting. I love it. Uh, like it's great theater stuff. And I'll tell you about how he looks. So he's got one of these like boating hats that people used to wear like in the early 1900s. If you're a politician, you know, uh-huh. or maybe if you're at a state fair showing a pig, you have one or something. And he's got like a long icicle face and a long nose with like um, icicles dripping off of it. And his hair is dripping icicles. Um, and he's just very happy to be cold in an icicle. The hot guy, his brother is rounder and has more stress around his eyes and flame hairs. He's like the sun. Um, do you have a favorite of the frost or the heat? You remember the heat guy. I remember the heat guy, not really the frost guy. So Okay, well, this is interesting to me because I liked the frost guy. And I wondered when I watched the heat guy again, like his song's pretty good. But I wonder if it's that thing where you have that inherent bias where if somebody makes a good argument when they get to go first. You tend to go with that choice because your brain's too tired. It's a real thing. Um, If somebody makes a compelling argument and they got to go first, they have the advantage. Um, So you always want to go first if you're going to do a good job. Uh, But, and also the heat guy is not as happy and he's got stress marks around his eyes and his song is slower. So I feel, so I, (laughs) yeah, you, you can't dance to warm yourself up. Like if you're the frost guy, I guess so. So, I don't know. I love songs where you hype yourself up and introduce yourself. I do love that too. <laughs> and especially songs that don't work on their own and need the performance. Like a lot of this is the performance. And it's, but it's a thing I really respect. I love performances like this because it's really about 
any type of good storytelling where you have to own the room because you have to do such a good job out of the gate that people like accept what you're doing, like you're hyping it and they stop asking questions and evaluating you. It's like, no, we're just getting a show where he's telling us about him being the frost guy. We aren't watching like, does he going to do the moves right? Like <laughs> you buy into it. There is an element. Yeah, you have you have to sell it. It's like a good um, stand-up comedian where you're doing good enough that you sort of break up the audience and they're no longer evaluating you anymore. Um, he, Frostmiser, definitely owned the room. <laughs> he gets there in 15 seconds. Yes. <laughs> when he twirls. <laughs> Stop by with your hubby sometime and we'll have a blizzard. <laughs> Number two. All right, my final pick... Um, at number two is not a person, but a very important object. And that is the Charlie Brown Christmas tree uh-huh. from the 1965 animated special starring the gang from Charles Schultz's beloved Peanuts comic strip, a Charlie Brown Christmas, mm-hmm. right? Gee, do they still make wooden Christmas trees? This little green one here seems to need a home. I don't know, Charlie Brown. Remember what Lucy said? This doesn't seem to fit the modern spirit. I don't care. I'll decorate it, and it'll be just right for our play. Besides, I think it needs me. Okay. And now, I, I want you to think back on this special, because it's probably been a while since you watched it, unless you're like, I watch it every year. What are you talking about? I watch it to feel cozy. Okay, fine. But, like, actually remember how a big part of this this holiday special is kind of like a low-key rant against uh, the excessive commercialization of Christmas. I do remember lots of, like, platform speeches. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> there were. And that feeling is represented in um, Charlie Brown's pick of a puny little Christmas tree at the tree lot. The shape of the tree is is very iconic. It's like one very tiny pine tree with three skinny branches, and the needles are falling off. And... Uh, drooping under the weight of a single ornament. That's how Uh we imagine it, right? Um, But this is a tree that Charlie Brown picks out because he says, it needs me. It looks like it needs me. Uh So he picks this tree over all the flashy trees. And at the time, this would have been at the uh, height of the mid-century tinseled tree mania. So they also remark that it's like, oh, I didn't know they make wooden trees anymore. Like Linus says that when they're picking it out. So I wanted to talk about this, the Charlie Brown Christmas tree, because I feel like we even paper over our memory of Charlie Brown and the special. Because if you really, if you ask me, you're like, oh, what, what's the deal with the Charlie Brown Christmas special? I don't know. I, I feel it's like a very muted, very quiet memory. Yeah. Uh, all the Charlie Brown ones are like that. I mean, he, he, Charles Schultz famously <laughs> was depressed. Yes. But he made, I mean, this great art. It's still funny, too. Right. Uh, still dry and funny. But And, and I was going to say, that's something that I feel like we kind of sleep on because, like, these days, Peanuts is like... It's on wrapping paper. It's licensed for like little toys and games for Oriental Trading Company for Christmas bazaars, you know. Uh, Every type of product has the Peanuts licensing on it. But like our generation and people younger than us, I think should really appreciate how dry the humor was and how existential the the whole thing Mm -hmm. was. Like the plot of a Charlie Brown Christmas special is essentially that Charlie is depressed Uh and watching everybody around him being enchanted by the trappings of the holidays. It's only amplifying that feeling. And I kind of feel like Charlie Brown as a character makes a lot more sense to us now 
now than it did when we were kids. Uh-huh. And I'm saying like us are, you know, 30 <clears throat> year old selves and even like us culturally, everyone, because I, uh, zoomers are notoriously known for having just sort of like a nihilistic, um, hilarious view of the world because they don't just they there's there's no optimism there and very in touch with their feelings and being cognizant of depression and how it's possible that you can be sad about nothing or just sad about Uh life you know well you know and i'm thinking about why we were watching it besides it just being on tv and the only thing on tv i wonder too if you know when you see something so muted like that why would kids ever watch that um just hearing about some of the funny stuff like my niece says and stuff, I think we forget that kids are really into feeling emotions. Yeah. Like that's entertaining for them. Like there's something exciting about feeling them and dealing with, they seek out like strong emotion, yeah. even if it's sad or whatever, they like to play with emotions a little bit. So there's something, there's something there too, I think. And it's an important part of our development as humans too. And that's kind of like the final point that I want to make about this object is that, you know, that ability to project empathy onto this non-human object, the way that Charlie Brown does when he picks yeah. out the tree, uh, really kind of speaks to your ability to feel empathy for others. And like like you were just saying ab- about um, how kids are always seeking out emotions, it's important for us to seek out emotions and to figure out um, how we can feel more for others. And um, I just kind of feel like this year especially, people are in dire need of just a little bit of empathy and a little bit of having that heartstring tug for something that is that is unfortunate you want to meet people where they are instead of giving them the christmas uh screensaver yes because i have really feel this is i'm really trying not to be crusty but i am old and crusty and it's everybody hashtag me with it i don't care <laughs> it's advocating <laughs> yeah well yeah I'm, I'm passionate about this because it's coming from a place of like wanting us to evolve as a species okay i feel like we're having a crisis of empathy right now and I just can't even help but think that the magical thinking kind of enabled by that self-selected information, the glut of warm, fuzzy holiday feelings, is really making it worse. <laughs> like, it's making it worse because, like, you know, we're not Charlie Brown in his existential crisis and projecting love onto this, like, pitiful little tree. Now we're just like, let's sit and be cozy. And I just kind of hate it. Like I feel like I feel like I'm the ghost of Christmas future, just giving out a holiday warning. Which or is, you're trying to help us before our meeting with the Q continuum to be judged yes, as humans. That that as well. This is not very holly jolly, but I would just I would just like to say that that the feeling of the Charlie Brown Christmas tree is supposed to be that feeling of of I don't know projecting love anywhere that you are in your life. Uh-huh. And like, can we do that, please? Like, just everyone, can, can we please, like, actually go pick out the Charlie Brown tree. Don't, you know, don't do monstrosities of what you think a holiday should be like, you know? It's we all at, about we, locating your love. That's all. Okay. That's all. We at Hallmark will put this in the maybe pile. <laughs> like, that is a terrible movie. <laughs> Where are the paper cups? I'm like, but Melissa Joan Hart said she'd be in it. They're like. We'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> okay. Before we name our top holiday character, which could be any holiday. <laughs> I uh, agree. We feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. 
I'll just go ahead and say The Grinch, because uh-huh. we didn't. Buddy the Elf, I don't know. And I've always been fond of Sandy Claus from The Nightmare Before Christmas, because yeah. it's Santa Claus just being horrified the whole time and just like a little bit indignant. It was funny because he was sort of like a normal, dignified dude. Yeah. Like, and he was like a little bit uh, sc- scolding, like at the end, like, what? were you thinking yeah like it was a good character i do like that but i was like okay i didn't make it a pick but i do i am fond of sandy claus i liked him too yeah i'm gonna say um sinbad from the uh turbo man arnold schwarzenegger movie oh yeah obviously the mailman sinbad the mailman he was really good in that um i was gonna say the grinch's dog i was just telling rebecca about this you could look up uh there's a great interview on youtube with chuck jones talking about how they uh, decided to make the dog the center of that story um, I really love this. Uh, you know, the Toy Story franchise does these little spinoff movies. They did one that's called, I think, um, the Toy Story that Time Forgot, and it's about like modern action figures, like you know, with like battle armor and stuff. And they were like dinosaurs with battle armor and everything. And one of the characters is this old like dark crystal vulture. I think he's like a pterodactyl thing with a robe, like an evil advisor. And at the end, the little girl decides to make him like a party DJ when she's playing like to his horror. And, and it was, a, it was a Christmas <laughs> or maybe I watched it at my mom's house for Christmas. I don't remember. <laughs> it evokes Christmas for me. Moving on. Uh, the Adams family Turkey. Cause again, I thought it was a holiday list. Um, and then uh, I was going to say uh, the Burl Ives, Jack Frost. Cause my mom, Loves him because he's Burl Ives. And also, I just think that's funny. And he has so much dignity. I love that character. Okay. So, who's your number one holiday character of all time? Number one. Just one more round, friend. Then homeward bound, friend. Don't forget me in your dreams. Just one more song, friend. And then so long, friend. The nights get shorter, it seems. All right, this is one I only learned about later, and I picked her because she is glorious and deserves to be remembered and at the top of the list, like being at the top of a Christmas tree. This is Akmina, the bartender, who was portrayed by B. Arthur in the 1978 Star Wars Holiday Special. (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting that. (laughs) I don't think either. And at the top of the list, like an angel at the star. That's what I said. The top of a tree. Yeah. Yeah. That's just hilarious. (laughs) Um, uh, I don't think either one of us has watched that movie all the way through. No. Um, I've only seen clips. I've seen all the important pieces. Um. I will not give a full history of the Star Wars holiday special. This isn't what this is about. I'm going to focus on B. Arthur. But just so you know the context, this special, everybody knows by now, was hugely maligned. There's been tons of stuff written about it. Um, some of the highlights are Chewbacca's dad watches a weird adult film. Um, Jefferson Starship Hologram Band makes a performance um, to try to cheer up a, star, a stormtrooper. Um, and it has terrible production value, and everybody was miserable, in a nutshell. <laughs> that Jefferson Starship didn't have a very good teleportation <laughs> pad. No. Um, but everybody agrees, everybody agrees, that uh, B. Arthur's character, Akmina, was one of the few redeeming parts of the special because her performance is so good. 
And she had just won an Emmy for Maud, and then she gets invited to be on this special for this movie that was just, you know, a, a cultural phenomenon, so why wouldn't it be good? The premise is she's working a night shift at the Mos Eisley Cantina, um, and she's trying to close down the bar to obey an imperial curfew. And to convince the patrons to leave, she sings this song called Good Night But Not Goodbye. And, and like the refrain is like, um, good night, friend, but it's not the end, friend. And basically, um, she's like imploring them to wrap it up and she's trying to help them out and sort of like sweetly escorting them in like a motherly way, but she's trying harder and harder to get them to get them to leave. I feel like any of our friends who have ever worked in a bar could probably really relate to that <laughs> feeling. It's pretty funny. And you know she likes long, flowy things from the Golden Girls, so she's wearing this long, like, maroon blouse, and she has a long ponytail over her shoulder, which I think is supposed to evoke, like, a Twi'lek or something. I'm not sure. She had said, uh, uh, it was a wonderful time, but I had no idea it was even part of a whole Star Wars thing. But it's funny to hear her say that because it sounded like the shoot was a mess. I read in one article where the shoot, just for her scene, spanned 24 hours, and the aliens... <laughs> that was all her being like, I gotta get this take perfect. <laughs> she she nailed it. It's really good. There's a lot of good acting. Um, but the aliens kept passing out in their costumes from the heat. And somebody uh, in one of these tell-alls said that uh, one of the like production assistants had to keep jumping between fallen bodies like a battlefield medic while they were trying to shoot oh everything. Oh my god. Let me talk about some of the aliens for a minute that she's trying to help out. And she's like like lifting them up off of their seats or like stroking their heads or doing a little waltz with them out the door and stuff. Um, you know, what? we love the background aliens like in Ghostbusters. Um, there's obviously like the cantina band. It's like little grayling alien guys playing oh, the yeah. little oboe things. Um, now, and, are they the backing band for yes. this song? That's and so, wonderful. So the song is new, but during the chorus, during the refrain, they play a slow version of the Cantina song under her. It's sort of like This a, sounds very well thought out. It is, it is. And so uh, one of the characters is the devil. It's just the devil. It's just <laughs> this, it's, He just looks like the devil. I don't know what character that is. <laughs> uh, but he was hilarious. They're like, look, we only have so many costumes on hand, okay? We're just going to repurpose this devil costume and make it work. And Alien. he's jacked. Why are all devils jacked? I think that's so funny. Because nobody is going to sign their soul over to a flabby devil. I guess. I... <laughs> I'm just saying, probably. Because that's a key part of being the devil. You'd be like, you can look like me if you just sign the paper. Yeah, it's like, he's got it figured out. Exactly. That devil's got a six pack. I can have that <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> the devil's shredded. <laughs> um, there was a giant rat. At one point, a giant rat comes out and she strokes his head while it makes little cooing monster sounds that it's sad it has to go. There's a Greedo guy. There's a Mike Myers mask alien looking guy. Okay, so that's clearly the case that they were just trying to make use of every alien looking costume that they possibly yes, had. I think so. I think so. And then eventually, only the like the 
terrible drunks are left. And to get them to leave, she just stops using words and she goes, she just starts singing very loudly uh, the chorus, just going, ta da da da, ta da da da. And then they start, da da da, and they start singing too. And she waltzes each one of them out the door. Um, and I thought this was weirdly moving because she really tries to act it like she's sad. Like, I don't know the whole context. I think it's like her bar is being shut down for an unknown amount of time. And so she's sort of sweetly telling them goodbye. Um, but it's just funny because it hits this weird chord with me because, you know, I'm just uh, so annoyed about sentimental endings to things. Yes. I'm always interested in what happens next. Like, it's just arbitrary and stupid to put a little, um, a little finale on it there's just something here about the finite nature of like the holiday break span or something that that she's commenting on was like as good night but not goodbye and so i like that sentiment i guess um and so at the end she does a personal goodbye to the band and her staff after all the drunks has left and uh, then she goes back to the bar and somebody, maybe her husband, gives her like a congratulatory uh, turkey leg while she's sort of being wistful. <laughs> so. uh, that sounds, I don't even eat meat, but I really want a congratulatory turkey leg. But it's a great song and she does a great job with it. And she is like notoriously, uh, was notoriously really, she's nice, but like salty, like, um, Dorothy was in all her interviews but when you ask her about this she has fond memories I think she knows she killed it (laughs) she's like I'm never phoning it in not even on the Mos Eisley Cantina (laughs) good night but not I think. I think so. I mean, if I'm looking for a pattern, I see that we're kind of leaning into like some Chicago location stuff, like with uh, Gotham City and the McAllister home. And then uh, Ghostbusters is New York, but you know, that, that kind of city Christmas thing, I guess. Yeah, we're, we're, we're looking for a, just the same way the city is, a place where you can test your metal. I feel like okay. we, we want that for, from our holiday things as well. I noticed some like holiday monsters and bad guys a little bit, yeah. which maybe shouldn't have surprised us. But no. I, like, I like everybody having to figure out Christmas. It's more interesting to have that monster perspective. <laughs> what do Christmas mean to me? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, it's a time of giving. It means more to the monsters. They're having to figure it out for the first time. That's right. It does mean more. <laughs> oh, so we mentioned that we might have a, uh, we are going to have a, a schedule change I was going to tell you about. So our next episode is going to be two weeks from now, uh, primarily to give us a holiday break. Um, so that will be January 4th the next time we have an episode. But then our show is going to go bi-weekly instead of monthly uh, for what you would guess for obvious reasons. Like it would helps people catch up and keep up with the episodes we think, but also gives us a little space to prepare for these and also work on writing and music projects at the same time. Yeah, we're, we're going to um, pr- pretty soon start 
are writing and production of Curdle Holler season three. So mm-hmm. we're going to kind of get that in motion. And so every other Monday, you'll still get your TWN champions right here where you always do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're just, we're just going to kind of like take a breather. Cause hopefully also 2021 is not going to be the, the, adventure that 2020 has been where you need where you needed your weekly injection well you where where you need as many things to distract you as often as possible (laughs) hopefully hopefully we can live a little more presently and fully in in our lives but yeah it's just it's gonna be every other week it'll be Mm -hmm. good i think um uh and so i'll i'll do the credits here but uh rebecca will have a little more extra news for you about uh some of the music stuff we talked about last time if you have thoughts on this list or your suggestions, email us at rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or talk to us on social media. We might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Rebecca, where can people follow us? You can find us on Twitter or Instagram or visit thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series, as well as a complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show. Or visit KeenGarity.com to download the title track off of my upcoming album, Get Big, which will be out in full on January 29th. That's K-E-E-N-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y.com. And follow me on Spotify, because nobody is yet. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be good for this soft launch period. That'd be really helpful. Okay, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. 